You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome, one and all, to episode 152 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And this is a podcast where I, Pimp Cron, discuss Warhammer. Isn't that, isn't that quaint? What are we talking about tonight? Well, I am still in my 80-hour weeks, and I'm becoming emotionally and physically worn out. So this is a slightly shorter episode. I think it'll be around a half hour or a little more than that. And um, it was to the point where I have had... I've been very busy. I'm not going to sit here and complain. I've been extremely busy. And I was almost to the point where like, man, I'm not going to do an episode, a podcast episode this week. I am too worn out. But then I decided, you know what? No, the people need me. The people are yearning to hear that succulent voice I talked about last week. So that this is the product of me almost falling asleep while I record this. So just, just so you know, this is tenacity. Anyway, we discuss whether or not Warhammer is headed for dark times due to complexity. Now, I know, I know what you're going to say. Pemcron, I thought you said you weren't going to be negative. I truly am not actually being negative in this segment. I'm just trying to discuss how I feel the game has become more complex and potentially to its detriment. Uh, I'm not mad about it. There's no venom, so it's not going to get you riled up. It's not going to give you anxiety. I'm just discussing how it is deceptively more complicated than it used to be. It doesn't seem that way on the surface, but it truly is actually. And um, the ramifications of that possibly. So the other thing is that our buddy Andrew, who is a three-time Shorehammer champion, um, buddy of the show, he wrote in and had several questions about... um, uh, He asked me a very pointed question about whether or not I'm upset that I sold my Soulblade army now that they can take the vampires separately. And I'm like, ooh, you... Now, I answer him. And I haven't seen him for quite some time, so whenever I see him next, I'm going to spit in his face. But as of right now, we're going to stay civil on the podcast. Anyway, he asks a bunch of questions, and I answer him. That's how that works. Damn. Sick of explaining Tesseract Mailbox to all you. So what have I been up to? Well, hmm. Not a whole heck of a lot. I am working, coming home, and some days going immediately to sleep. So that's exciting. I have been making some more videos in my extreme, extremely thin free time. I have been making more YouTube channel videos for the skits and all that for Warhammer. So go check that out. TV on YouTube. And seriously, please take a look at it. Um, trying to get it up on the, you know, get this ball rolling. And uh, I think they're pretty funny. So, and if you don't like them, then thumb me down and heckle me. Either way, the interaction I think is going to be beneficial to me. So it's no big deal. Uh, truly, I don't know what else to say. I think that's about all I've done this week. I did play a game with the new guy, Robert this week, and he ended up beating me by five points and I played my Grey Knights, and he played Salamanders, and I had a really, really juicy, uh, you, you know, Grey Knights are basically glass cannons currently with this current edition, and they're one wound, and they they die by bolter fire and droves and all that. Well, he's taking Salamanders, and he took six Flamestorm Aggressors, so I'm like, darn, what do I do against that? 
So I used the terrain to my advantage quite well. And in one turn, what I did is I set up this ambush and I was out of line of sight so he couldn't ever shoot me. And then I jumped everything up and killed five out of six of his aggressors in one turn. How did I do that, you say? Well, I had a nemesis a grandmaster and a dread knight. So he was there and he shot. And he gave the reroll one's aura to my uh, heavy weapons squad. I cannot think of what they're called. Um, not purgation squad, but uh, I can't think of it anyway. They had a bunch of side cannons. And he had them rerolling ones. Well, I paid for the two-point stratagem to give them an extra AP. So they're AP two, two damage. And then I also had a interceptor squad jump up and they cast a power on themselves from Psychic Awakening that allows them to shoot and then make a normal move. So they hopped up on this building and shot and then hopped back. And they did that two or three turns in a row and he couldn't ever see me to shoot me because I was on the other side of a building and I wasn't in the building. So it was it was pretty... It paid off pretty darn well. Unfortunately, he did get the center objective one turn that I did not, and he ended up beating me by five points, but it was truly an uphill battle, and that's the kind of battle that I enjoy. So he beat me 40 to 35 or something like that. It was it was very close. We didn't do any secondary objectives because F that noise. So we just played the regular, you know, uh, five for one, five for two, five for more. Also, I don't think he could take any more complexity. He was already flipping through both of his books and was struggling and all that. It's This new edition, which I'll talk about in the Real Talk, is very tough on new players. Anyway, let's get into the meat and potatoes. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey, this is Tesseract mailbox, and this week we have a an email from Andrew, and he says, Hi, Pimpcron. After last week's luscious comment, I feel like you and your podcast have been possessed by Slanesh, and someone needs to call the Inquisition. Um, yeah, that was that was my very awkward uh, sound I made during the intro to make everybody uncomfortable. I enjoyed it, personally, so if, if I'm possessed by Slanesh, that's just too bad. Speaking of heresy, you held back that negativity about the Gaunt's Ghost bookmark like holding back an alien chestburster from coming out of your stomach. <laughs> That was the best want that or want that not ever. I also wanted to second your advice for Grendel's army selection. Now, guys, listen up. Andrew knows a lot more about competitive Warhammer play than I do. He is, what, three-time Shorehammer Grand Champion, I think? Three times, I think. I think he's got three belts. Anyway, he needs to... Andrew, you need to come to Shorehammer wearing all three belts, just as a flex. <laughs> uh... I also want... Okay, Admech are crazy strong at the moment. Orcs aren't looking bad either, and Sisters seem pretty good too. Necrons don't quite have the punch to keep up with some of the newer books, though they worked out for last year's Shorehammer. Yeah, Andrew won with Necrons last year's Shorehammer. Unfortunately, most of the competitive Tyranid models are Forge Worlds, so that takes them out of the running, unless their book comes out around October, and he already has the army ready to go. But... We have Thousand Suns, Grey Knights, and probably Black Templars coming this year, so it doesn't look good for a new book before Shorehammer. Lastly, now that there was a second FAQ for Soulblight Gravelords released, and all the little cursed city characters can be taken separately, do you regret selling them off? Andrew's asking the hard questions here. 
I've only sold off a few armies, and I only kind of regretted selling my Skaven. Just curious if you ever had seller's regret. Hmm. And this is from Andrew, so thank you for writing in, Andrew. To be honest, I'm not super surprised. I, I definitely knew it was a possibility they may FAQ that and allow them to be in taken individually, because if you heard that big whiny rant of mine about Soul Blight, they included all of the units from Curse City as one giant detachment, basically, and all of them were helter-skelter in different directions. Some were wolf-based, some were zombie-based, some were vampire-based. Um, I am still not that upset about it, to be honest with you. That Before Soul Blights, that was my Legions of Nagash army. So it was my zombies and my skeletons and all that. And I didn't paint any of them. I actually bought them secondhand as a lot anyway. So if I had painted all those zombies, I don't think there's any way I would have ever sold them. But being that it wasn't my time and effort painting all these things, I really had no issue with selling them. And even so, I really, really hate horde armies. And those 100 or 120 zombies that I had, I would play that on a lark like maybe once a year. And otherwise, they sat on a shelf. So I think, um, as most of my regular listeners will know, that uh, I've been trying to kind of downsize a little bit because I've got a, a lot of... I had, you know, 5,000 points of Necrons and 5,000 points of Orcs and all this stuff, and I rarely ever used it. So I've been selling off a bunch of different stuff. Um, I sold off all my Orc army to start from scratch very small, and I was making Beast Snagas before that was ever announced. So I decided to take make basically a snake bite or a um, tribal orc army. So now I've got like maybe a thousand or 1500 points of that. And my Necrons, I sold all that off. That was my first army. And I sold 70% of that off and I bought all new models to custom make things that were interesting to me. And I sold off all of my infantry for guard and bought new models for my infantry for guard because I wanted them to look differently and look cool because they were all catechins that I had bought from a friend when he was getting out of the game. And they just, even though I did paint all of those, eh, I don't really like the catechin models and, you know, it's really not a big deal. So also I wanted an army that looked a, a kind of an androgynous sort of, uh, I don't think androgynous, ambiguous way an ambiguous way so that it could be, I could take him as Katie in this game and then Talar in the next game and all that. If you're playing with Katachin models and you're not taking Katachin, Katachin jungle fighters as your doctrine or whatever, that kind of seems kind of cheesy. And it's funny because I had painted all of my orcs, I had painted all my Necrons, and I had painted all of my guard, the ones that I sold. So there is a part of me that's like, oh man, that, that Necron army was my very first army. Like that, that kind of hurts to sell that. But on the other hand, I realized that I would only be holding on to it for nostalgia's purposes, which is a valid point, but it's just like taking pictures of family, right? You can have photo albums after photo albums after whatever digital albums of pictures, and you could just have thousands and thousands of pictures. But when it really comes down to it, it's that one or two or maybe ten pictures that really mean a lot to you. You know, a picture with your grandmother or a picture with your family or whatever. There's just a couple pictures that actually really mean anything to you of a certain time in a certain place. So what I did 
is one of my first orcs I ever painted. He was named because I, I painted him. I kept him. I did not sell that one model. And I kept one Necron warrior that was painted in my old style, the style I first painted with 11 years ago. And I kept him. And I, oh, you know, I, I sold all of my old Space Marines too. I sold all of them. And I also kept some of the characters because they were old, metal, weird-looking models. And I'm like, man, these guys are painted pretty well. And I'm just going to keep them for posterity. So, But once again, you don't need to keep the entire army. Pick a few models that really mean something to you. And then you can get rid of the rest of it. And you can still hold that one model and go, oh, man, remember when I used to play that army? And so far, I haven't regretted it. So um, going back to Soul Blight. I am not regretting selling all that stuff because I rarely played that army anyway. I loved it more in spirit than to actually play it because I hate hordes. So now that you can take those models individually, there's no way that I'm going to buy a bunch of those vampire, whatever they're called, the little vampires. Even though you can take them in big units now, there's no way I'm going to buy a bunch of Cursed Cities or a bunch of those models from Cursed City on eBay. There's no way I'm going to do that. Now, the only way that they would suck me back into Soul Blight is, like I've said before, I always wanted to do an all-vampire army. That was my deal. And if they sold them in a box of five or a box of ten, well, then you might get me back into Soul Blight. I might be buying some vampire heroes and things like that. But in the meantime, I don't know. And also, I, I'm, I'm streamlining my armies because a lot of my armies are a little samey. I've got Flesh Eater Courts. Well, they're basically vampires, so it's kind of redundant to have another vampire army, so it's kind of, eh, I don't know. I don't see myself getting back into Soul Blight, but if they did release a bunch of vampire models, sold separately, boxed, sealed, all that, I might consider it. But, in the meantime, I'm not too worried about it. So, thank you for writing, Andrew. I greatly appreciate it. And you guys can reach me at pimpcron, pimp cron at gmail.com or facebook.com slash pimcron or if you're exceptionally clever you can call in on the hotline in the show notes let's get to the next segment now it's time for real talk with pimpcron Hey everybody, it is Real Talk with the Pimpcron and I promise to you I will not be negative today. I will not. I am just going to deconstruct exactly what makes a game popular and widespread and easy to join and it also impacts sales of Games Workshop. So the question is, are we going into dark times for the Warhammer genre, for the Warhammer system? And I'm speaking primarily about Warhammer 40k with 9th edition, but it also somewhat applies to Age of Sigmar, which is slowly getting more and more basic game mechanics layered on and layered on with these heroic acts and all of this stuff. I think it's pretty safe to say that 9th edition is becoming more and more and more complex for Warhammer 40k, and it is a far cry from 8th edition. And... In its own way, it's funny to say this, but in its own way, it's actually more complicated than almost every other edition Warhammer has ever had. Now, it does not appear that way on the surface, but if you start breaking it down, things are actually much more complicated. 
if you looked at the basic game mechanics of Warhammer 40k back in like when I started in 5th edition or 6th edition, 7th edition, 8th edition, um, but specifically those 5th through 7th editions is what I know personally. And there, the basic game mechanics were a little more complex. You had scatter dice, you had rear facings, you had armor penetration, you had uh, deep strike mishap tables. Remember those? You had all sorts of different mechanics that were complex, but it was core game mechanics that were complex. And then you actually had a lot of things that were the same because they had a bunch of universal special rules. So if I don't know what army you're playing and you don't know what army I'm playing, as far as we don't know the army intricately, if you said that my unit has the beast universal special role, I'd be like, oh, it's a beast. Then it does this, it does that, it ignores difficult terrain, and it blah, blah, blah. There were certain rules that applied to all of the different universal special rules. And even though there were a lot of universal special rules, I think they were, I think uh, USRs is what they're called. I'm going to stop saying that long phrase. But there were a lot of USRs, but the difference is, is when you learned those 20 or 30 USRs, you knew what hatred was if a unit had hatred, or you knew what beast or jet bike or whatever was, and it was the same for everybody. So my uh, Chimera for my Drakari was a beast, and it would have the same keyword abilities as, let's say, a uh, Chaos Spawn, I think was also a beast. And we knew there was commonality there. Now, other things that were the same among all armies was, let's say, power weapons. Now, you newer players is going to be a little weird, but there used there there came a time when damage was not a thing. There was no such thing as damage. When you wounded somebody, that was it. Everything was basically one damage. And... Power weapons didn't have different levels of AP. So everything, basically, if it was a power weapon, whether it be a power fist or an incubi blade or anything else, lightning claws, it just ignored armor, period. In other words, everything was, what, AP 5. Yeah, everything was AP 5 back then. And while I do like the addition of different damage amounts and different AP and things like that, but anybody that played back then would have to admit that it was much simpler. Everything was AP5 if it had the power weapon USR, and that's basically how everything went. Now, like I said, the scatter dice and all that stuff, the core game mechanics were a little more complex, but I don't recall hardly, unless they were named character, there were hardly ever any special rules that were unique to a unit. They always had, like, universal special rules. Now, they might have had one ability here or there, but the difference with 8th edition is that they included different damages amounts, and they included different AP amounts, and that changes the game quite a bit and makes it more complex and more variable. Also, they got rid of universal special rules. So, your unit might do X, Y, or Z on a 5-up, and I might have a similar ability, but they're called two different things, and my X, Y, or Z is on a 6-up. And while I do appreciate that variation in the different special rules, 
it makes it extremely complex as far as, oh, yours is a 5-up, mine's a 6-up, this guy over here has a 4-up, this guy has an ability that's almost like your 5-up, but it's worded slightly different to also, I don't know, work against mortal wounds or whatever. And this guy over here, he gets a 4-up, but only against mortal wounds, or whatever the case may be. And in a way, the whole thing seemed much more streamlined because each unit had its rules right there. You did not have to flip through the core rulebook for the USRs or anything like that. It was just right there, which was kind of nice. On the other hand, it made it more and more and more intricate and complex and interwoven with all the different rules. Then they also started allowing chapter abilities. Oh, you're salamanders. Oh, you're ultramarines. Oh, you're, you know, our martyred lady or whatever. And once again, I applaud that because I really like having a flavor to your army. The problem is that is yet another complication on top of all of your other rules interactions. Then they started um, in the previous editions prior to 8th, the leaders, the HQs, had abilities that would buff a unit, but they didn't have auras. They just joined a unit, and that unit, it was very clear what unit got that ability because they would have to attach themselves to that unit. Very simple. Well, now you start adding auras, so now you're you're trying to pre-measure and all of that. It slows down the game, believe it or not. Now, it is nice not having to compare wisp, uh, weapon skills like you used to in old editions where it's just you automatically hit on a blank up, but it wasn't that big of a deal and I actually did like that some units were more skilled in melee than others, and it would affect the other persons to hit, but whatever. it's For streamlining effects, that's fine. All of this supposed changing to the rules to make it more streamlined and more accessible worked pretty well. But the problem is, is that Games Workshop has a tendency to always overdo something. They never... Um, temperance would not be one of the good abilities that GW can boast. Temperance would be, oh, you know what, we better not overuse this, we better not go too far with this, let's have some restraint. They're not very good at that. So when you come into 9th edition, all of the 8th edition stuff is cranked up to 11. Now you've got more than one ability that happens with your chapter tactics. Now you've got, you know, doctrines, or you have protocols, or you have all of this different stuff. And different phases affect different units, and it's it's much more complicated than it used to be. Not to mention, you still have your auras that are affecting people around them, but only within a certain many inches. And it's just, it's much more complex, but it's deceptively complex. It doesn't seem like it's more complex, but when you start layering that more and more and more on, it does go a little too far, and it does become too complex. So... 8th edition was a great jumping on point because even though it changed a lot of things about Warhammer, it did streamline some things like giving toughness and wounds to vehicles and monsters versus having armor facings and a lot of the vehicles were not perfectly square or whatever, like, you know, not everything's a monolith or a land raider. So a lot of times it was hard to tell whether you were in the, the you know, side armor or a rear armor or whatever. So I, I do understand some of the ways that they streamlined it, and that's great. But the problem is, the ways they decided to complicate it, they're cranking up to 11 now. And what's funny is, is I've been whining and complaining about this since last summer when 9th edition came out. And just now am I starting to... Everyone kind of dismissed me and said, oh, no, you know, it's not a big deal, blah, blah, blah. But 
now that more and more codexes are coming out, I'm hearing more and more grumbling from people saying, well, you know, I can't even learn the other guy's codex because it's so complicated and I still don't fully understand my codex and I'm always forgetting rules and I need cheat sheets or cheat sheet apps or whatever. And this kind of rolls over into my next point is that I think this will ultimately hurt sales. And what I mean by that is that if you have very simple rules, then people can play larger games and buy more models because there is less bookkeeping, there is less things to worry about because the rules are simpler. If the games are hyper-complex then it makes it much harder to play larger games because you're like, oh my gosh, and this aura and this magic ability and this artifact and this unit has this ability and this unit has a similar ability, but it's slightly different. And this is an AP3, this is an AP2, this is a D3 damage, this is a 4 damage, this is a whatever. And it's getting kind of nuts. So when I kind of see the death of the apocalypse game, for the most part, and the reason why, you know, back in the day, 5th edition, whatever, sometimes we would play, maybe not Apocalypse, but like a 3,000-point game. We'd be like, oh, let's play a 3,000-point game. And now, the word on the street that I hear, and I do agree with it, is that even like a 1,500-point game is getting kind of complicated. And that's going to, I feel, lead to lower sales because you don't buy as many models because you don't play as big of games. Here's another way I feel like it's going to impact sales is that someone like me who plays a bunch of different armies, there is no way for me to keep up with all of these armies. Not only do they have a prodigious production rate of all these rule books, but also that the rule books themselves are so darn complex that they really are kind of pigeonholing you into playing just one army or maybe two armies but not playing 12 armies like me or just James do. And ultimately, people like us are the ones that buy models. You know, most people, we're like the cash cows. So you kind of want to cater to that person, but you don't want to make it so complex that it's extremely hard to keep up with the whole grind of new supplements and new FAQs and new erratas and all of that stuff and the complexity of everything. So to really know and accurately play one of my armies, I would have to play them several weeks in a row, which means I'm not playing my other armies. And what I found, and Just James can also say this because we talk about it at work, is that it kind of makes you lackluster to have so many armies. Because you know, in order to play one properly, you got to play it several weeks in a row, which means you've got a whole backlog of other armies just collecting dust. And then you might go a whole year or two without playing some of your armies. And then you're like, well, why do I have this army? I'll sell it on the secondary market or whatever. And I find that to be an issue. Not to mention, I used to know a lot of people like Bliggity Blam Steve that would buy every single codex prior to 9th edition. They would buy every single codex because they wanted to read through it and see what their opponents might be bringing to the table and find out what's good with this army or what's good for that. And nobody, I don't think any, what's the phrase? Nobody, not nobody. I don't know where that came from, but it's from an old show or something. Nobody, not nobody is going to be buying every single codex now. And the reason why is you can't even keep track of your own codex for crying out loud, because all the codexes are so darn complicated. Another way 
that I think is going to impact sales is that you may see a decline in new players. We have a new player at our club right now, and he's playing um, Salamanders, and he just started. And you should see him struggling to play this game, because he's like, oh, let me look through the Space Marines book. Okay, okay, uh, let me find... Okay, here's that role, but wait a second. I think in my supplement, my Salamanders supplement book, I think I've got some other role. Hold on. And then looking through that, oh, okay... Well, and then, oh my gosh, I forgot my chapter tactic, and oh my god, well, this aura, I completely forgot to use this aura, and, and I'm watching him get pretty flustered, because he he's flipping through two separate books, and trying to keep track of his doctrines, and his auras, and his artifacts, and his warlord traits, and his chapter abilities, and it's so much for new people to keep track of, and that's what I used to make a really big selling point of 8th edition, because I was like, hey, you need to jump on now, new players, because it's so darn simple. Especially when the indexes were out, that was the golden age. And I swear, a lot of people agree with me on this. That the index age, or index era, was the perfect era. And it's because everybody had their rules at the same time, and everything was pretty simple, and it wasn't cranked up to 11. And that, I feel, if I were to ever become an old hammer player somebody that just goes and picks an old edition and just plays that edition i truly think i would go back to just index eighth edition and i would be like hey we just play with the indexes that's that and you still have your tactics you still have your strategy you still have all of the things you love about warhammer but you don't have all of the fat and the bloat and all of that so i Certainly, I'm not wishing ill will on GW by any means, but I do kind of, this is one of the additions which I'm not real thrilled about, and I think it's overly complex, and a lot of it doesn't give you any real benefit. It's just complexity for complexity's sake, and this is kind of one of the ones where I'm like, oh, thank God they come out with a new edition every two years because I've only got one year left before 10th edition, and I hope to God that uh, 10th edition is simpler and easier to use. So I'm kind of just, you know, biding my time, and uh, I just find it super, super complex. And I truly don't think that there's any real positives to this extra complexity. I can't imagine it's improving their sales. I can't imagine that it's making it easier to play. I can't imagine that people are like, oh my gosh, I never checked out Warhammer before, but now I hear that it's super complex. I definitely want to check it out now. Nobody's saying that. Nobody in their right mind is saying that. And anybody that wants to tell you the older editions were more complex, now admittedly, Rogue Trader, yes, was more complex, but it was a skirmish game. It wasn't even a full army game. So that's a little, uh, I know 2nd and 3rd edition were pretty, pretty complex, but, but in other ways, they were far simpler, like I said, with AP and damage and all that. So it's, I don't know. I hope this does not impact the the company too badly because I truly feel like it has the potential to. Hopefully this wasn't negative because I'm not angry about it or anything like that. I just wanted to explain from a game design standpoint why I think this might be a bad idea to go hyper complex with stuff. But I guess we'll see how it pans out. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to the show and thank you to all my beautiful, sexy, good smelling Patreon patrons over at patreon.com slash pimpcron. And thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting my show as well. Event10 is the code for 10% off your order with them. So I will see you next week, buckaroos.